The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. Well, in, um, in this season 2020, science has made an interesting discovery and it is the, particularly the scientists that are listening to the sound waves down in the, the earth. So they're looking at uh, seismometers, those machines that are listening to the vibrations and the sound waves that are, uh, tell us how big an earthquake is, those kinds of things. And so these scientists, they listen to the sound waves that many are because there's a small earthquake or a large earthquake happening. It's like the, the plates uh, in the earth that are moving together and so they can detect that. But a lot of those sound waves are created by us as humans. So especially in urban populations, in cities where there's trains and cars and millions of people and subways and things like that. In those cities, we create sound waves down through the earth. And so as they listen to these sound waves and they record them, they can also not just tell what's happening with the the earth's surface and and with earthquakes and things, but they can also track like movements in the population and, and things like that. Well, they discovered in 2020 when we went into a basically a global lockdown they discovered that the amount of noise reverberating through the earth when the globe went on lockdown was significantly reduced, which if you think about it is really amazing. That means that because people are are quarantined at home in cities all over the planet, People are not going to work, not as many cars drive, being driven, not as many trains going, not as many planes flying, not as many sub, subways going, like, and, and all of these things. They say in some places around the world, the sound was reduced by up to 50%. So think about that. What we've walked through this last, through this year, 2020, it has had an impact on the planet itself, which is amazing, I think. And in fact, it's almost like in this season, in some ways, the planet kind of got quiet. Now, I don't know about you, but um, when I think about this last season, quiet might not be the word that I would have picked, okay? Like when I think of this season, I don't feel like I just woke up from a a seven-month nap, and I feel, I just feel all rested now. I don't exactly feel like that. In fact, in some ways, I feel like this has been one of the loudest, noisiest seasons that I can remember. So I, I don't know if you would say that this season has been very loud. Some of you may say, look, there are ways that it has been quiet. I've been home a lot. In fact, I remember there was one day in the middle of quarantine several months ago that my wife and I, we got into an argument about who had the privilege of going outside and getting the mail. That is an, I'm being for real. Like we were both like, get me out of this house. I'm going to get the mail. No, I was going to get the mail. You're going to get the mail. And so we actually had a fight over that, which my wife won, which is no surprise. Okay, she got the privilege of going outside and getting the mail. And it was at that moment that I realized, okay, I've been locked inside this house too long. So there's ways that this has been a season that's been quiet. 
But there's been ways also that this season has been so loud, I mean so bombastic, so combative in ways. So here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you in the chat, I want you to write, do you feel like this season has been more for you quiet or more loud? Just take a second, more quiet or more loud in the chat or the comments, Um, put what you think it is. Either way, this earth, our earth, down to the actual crust of the earth that we're standing on has been affected by this season. This has been a season that's affected actually our planet, not just the people in it. And so with this incredible season, I don't think any one of us are ever going to forget this season. Here's what I got thinking recently. I got thinking like, man, in all the things that have happened in this season, man, I hope I learned the lessons that I was supposed to in this season. Like, I I hope that I don't miss the things that God wanted to teach me and God wanted to teach us. So I have a couple thoughts I want to share. We're going to do things a little bit different um, this weekend. I want to just take some time. I've got a couple thoughts I want to share um, as a church. How do we not fall into the tragedy of missing what God wanted to do in us in this season. A couple thoughts on what some of those lessons are. But to set that up, we need to go to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament. And it is a very interesting book, very unique book. There's probably no other book in the Bible exactly like this. The book may be as old as 3,000 years old. And it's very unique. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Almost certainly written by um, a King Solomon. Many believe written by King Solomon. I believe written by King Solomon. And so just as a reminder, this is who's writing this book. King Solomon was known throughout history as possibly the wisest man who ever lived. So, I mean, miraculously given the gift of wisdom. Like, God's like, I'm going to give you wisdom like this world has not seen. Like, gave him a gift of wisdom. People traveled from all over to hear his wisdom. He's celebrated throughout history for his wisdom. That, that's who this king is. Secondly, he's known for his unbelievable wealth. He, had, he was incredibly wealthy, possibly for his day and age, one of the wealthiest humans alive and one of the wealthiest in history. He had incredible um, resources. He could do, experience, get anything he wanted. He was incredibly wise, he was incredibly wealthy, and he was fabulously successful. He was so successful, everyone knew him, he was super famous, he, his glory, everybody knew who this guy was. He was glorious. The kings would come and queens would come to visit him. Everyone knew who King Solomon was. So here's who's writing this book. He is incredibly wise, incredibly wealthy, incredibly glorious and successful, okay? And he's writing this. And here's what he's writing. He's basically writing down a perspective of the earth if you took out the message of the gospel, He's got an awareness of God, but he's taking out the message of the gospel. In other words, what I mean by the gospel, that 
work that Jesus Christ did when he came to earth, there's something he accomplished that transforms your life, my life. It transforms actual, the fabric of the universe is shifting because of the work that Jesus did. The greatest moment in history, it is good news for everything. What Jesus did, that good news is the gospel. This is a perspective without the gospel. And here's basically what he does. He basically takes anything that you're going after in this life and he shows you where it's going to lead. Why? Because he knows. So if you're after wisdom and knowledge and education or anything along those lines, he, as the wisest person, maybe whoever lives, says, this is where that's going to lead you. If you just follow that path and if your goal is wisdom and knowledge, this is where you're going to end up. And he knows. Then he takes wealth. He says, look, if you're after money, like if you're just like, look, as while I'm here, I'm just going to make as much money as I possibly can. He says, well, this is where you will end up. And he knows, one of the wealthiest men in history. He says, okay, this is what that path is going to end up looking like. He says, if you're after success, this is where that path leads. And he knows because he's one of the most fabulously successful people in history. And he opens the book. Here's the unique thing about Ecclesiastes. It's one of the darkest books in the entire Bible. And he opens up the book and he says it like this. Essentially says, emptiness. Emptiness. Everything is empty. It's all just empty. And so look, I, I think maybe if you're watching this, maybe you're, you're sitting at home or sitting with your roommates or you're, you're, you're listening on your, your phone and just hearing that, that may already be kind of striking a chord because maybe there's these quiet moments in this season or maybe a lot longer than just the season where you've said, look, there, there's got to be something more than what I'm experiencing right now because it just, it just feels empty. And there is something more. And in a, in a few minutes, I want to give you an opportunity to find that thing that's, that's more. Ecclesiastes is an important book because it tells you, basically, if all you have is the world, this is all it has to offer. And in the end, it comes up empty. Ecclesiastes is important because it's a setup for the gospel. It's important because it is making us yearn for the gospel. It's important because everything it says is true, it's just not the whole story. Okay, Ecclesiastes, we're going to look in chapter 7, and there are two verses in particular in chapter 7 that I think speak right to what we're, this moment that we're in. So I want you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and I want to pick it up. We're just going to read these two verses. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. So uh, here's what it says, Ecclesiastes 7, starting in verse 13. Consider... The work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. There's that word again. Now, I want you to take a moment in the chat, in the comments. I want you to just write the word consider or circle it in your Bible. Write the word consider. That shows up twice and it shows up as a command, okay? He says, and in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. It's a command again. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Okay, the fundamental thing that we're called to do as we look at this passage, the fundamental thing is we are called 
to consider. We're going to walk out of this passage if we're being obedient to what this, the Bible says. We are going to do the work of considering. There's something in particular he's asking us and telling us to consider. He says, consider the work of God. And by the work of God, you know, well, what does he mean the works of God? Does he mean like the ancient works of God? Does he mean like, you know, creation and all that stuff? Yes. Does he mean like the biblical works of God, like the things recorded in the Bible? Yes, he's talking about those. But he's also talking about the present works of God, the, the things that God has done in your life. He's saying consider all of the things that God does. Consider how God moves. And then he says, who can make straight what God has made crooked. What a weird statement, isn't it? God doesn't make things crooked, does he? I mean, what is he saying, like crooked, like immoral? Well, of course he doesn't mean that. God's not immoral. What does he mean by who can make straight what God has made crooked? I think of it like this. I have here a, a wire hanger. And, you know, obviously you hang a shirt on a hanger like this. But actually, throughout my life, I've learned that there are many different uses for a wire hanger. So like when I was a kid, um, if I, I could bend it like this, and um, in fact, I still do this with my kids, if we're playing and pretending to be pirates, you can immediately become Captain Hook with a wire hanger like this. That's one use. I, I remember also as a kid, like if I was pretending I was in like an old Western movie, I would take a wire hanger and I'd bend it like this and suddenly I had like a, a bow and arrow. Okay, so I, I've used it like that. Um, a wire hanger, I, I have um, at times you can, you can bend it like this. And if there's something that falls like behind a bookcase, maybe you've done this before, you can use this and kind of reach behind and, and get it out, okay? Um, I, I know that you can also take hangers and on certain cars, if you lock yourself out of your car, maybe some of you have done this before, you can slide the hanger in, unlock the car on some cars. I've even actually used it where um, I've, a bedroom has been locked in uh, the house and I've used it actually the end to unlock um, the bedroom. So however you bend a wire hanger, you have a purpose for that. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, however God, sometimes God takes your life. I'm going to try and get this back as a coat hanger as best I can. I'm not going to do a great job. But sometimes you're like, hey, here's my life. I have a perfect coat hanger here. I, I, I can hang a shirt on it. It's great. I have a great hanger. And God comes along and says, hey, your life, I, I need it for something else right now. And all of a sudden, he starts bending it. And you're like, whoa, that looks like a crooked shirt hanger there. Like, that's, that looks crooked. But God is bending that, bending your life, bending this a season of life, bending the circumstances in your life in such a way. He's making it what appears crooked to you for your plan. He's bending it for his his own purposes. He has a design for how he is bending your life, and it may look crooked to you, but here's basically what Solomon is saying. It may look crooked to you, but are you going to stop him? Are you going to straighten it back out? I mean, it's kind of dark. He says, just consider how God works. He's got a plan, and you're not going to stop him. Then he goes on to this, so he says that. So just think about it for a second. You think you're gonna stop God with his plan? He's got a plan, and even if you think he's bent your life all out of shape, you're not gonna stop him. Think about it. Consider. Then what does he say? He says, um, so here, here's what you can do. In times of prosperity, have joy. 
okay? I mean, like, if he's bending your life in a way that suits you, and you're like, ah, this is good. He's bending my life. Okay, I had a coat hanger, and all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's made me bent it this way, but this actually works out. I mean, I got a promotion. I mean, the way that God bent my life, it actually, it's good. Like, I, I you know, I, I got a raise, or I, I, this is going well in my life. I've, I, I got a new relationship. I've got a new boyfriend, new girlfriend. You say, like, the way God has, has bent my life, it, it's bringing some form of prosperity in my life. He says, rejoice. But then he says, in adversity, the only thing he tells you to do is consider. Consider, in prosperity rejoice, but in adversity, God made them both. He made the good times and the bad times. That's really his only answer. He says, pretty much, here's all you got. I mean, just, I guess, accept it because he makes good times and bad times. You, you see how, like, just kind of depressing that is? He's like, you know, with all, if earth is all you have, he's pretty much banking on the fact that at some point, you may be running from it. You're going to realize that there's a God who's got a plan, and you'll stand before him one day, and, you know, what can you do? There's going to be good times in your life and bad times in your life, and just accept that he brought the good and the bad. I mean, I guess that's all you can do. Celebrate the good times, try and accept the bad times. And then he says, because no one knows what's coming next. He says, you don't know. No one can predict. He says, who can know? Who can know what's coming after him? No one knows what's coming next. You, you don't know. So just rejoice if it's good. Consider that God did it if it's bad and just try and accept it. Now, I don't know about you. But I hear that and I, it leaves me a little bit empty. I, I see why he starts this book saying, vanity, vanity, you know, emptiness, emptiness. I mean, it's like, really, is that all I got? Just accept whatever God's going to do? But see, th- this is to draw out a desire for something more. Because he, here's, this is just the beginning. There, there's more to the story. There's more that the Bible reveals. This just kind of shows us what the world has if there's no Jesus. Because there is another king that came. And talk about wisdom. There's another king that came to his people. How about wisdom? Well, he's so wise that everything that was made was made through him, by him, for him, and he holds all things together. So his wisdom is infinitely greater than Solomon's. See, there's a king that that came and, I mean, talk about wealth The Bible says the earth and everything inside of it belongs to him. He owns everything. The universe belongs to him. He's named all the stars. He calls them by name because they're his. All the galaxies belong to him. So, man, I I mean, Solomon have wealth. I mean, it, it is dwarfed, infinitely, profoundly dwarfed by another king that would come. Talk about glory. Man, the heavens declare the glory of this king. There is a king so much greater that at, when this king's name is declared at the end of time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that that king is the king of kings. That's who this king that would one day come. I mean, Solomon just is like a whisper compared to this king that's going to come. But here's the crazy irony. This king with all the wisdom that he had, he came to earth and was rejected. He knew he would be. 
this king that has unbelievable wealth was stripped, was mocked and tortured. This king that has unimaginable glory was beaten and hanged on a cross and died a gruesome death. The glorious son of God hanging on a cross, taking all of our sin and our guilt and our shame on himself. That's the king that would come far greater than Solomon. But here's the thing. It ends in a victory. Because on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again from the grave. He walked out of that tomb and he defeated sin and death itself. Jesus Christ is victorious. And so if that's the end of the story, then there's more to this than just what Solomon is recording in Ecclesiastes. If there's more to the story, then then consider what the true king of kings did. He came to earth and he took the unimaginable adversity on himself. He was separated from God the Father, taking our sin and our shame, being rejected by his own creation. Jesus Christ took unimaginable adversity on himself so that he could make us unimaginably prosperous. He took adversity so that we could have prosperity. You say, whoa, whoa, time out, prosperity? Wait a minute, are you saying that if I like, you know, become like a Jesus person, like I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I put my faith in Jesus, like are you saying that then all of a sudden like I'll have a nicer car, have nicer clothes, a nicer house, you know, I have a, a nicer paycheck. Is, is that what you mean? No, no, no. That is way too small of thinking. That is way too small. I mean, the type of prosperity that he is bringing and offering to you is so much cosmically greater than that. I mean, what you're talking about is like a car. A car can rust. Your, your clothes, moths can eat your clothes. Okay, your, your house, a hurricane could, could destroy your house. I mean, those are things that are here one minute, gone the next. The type of prosperity that he is bringing is not something that matters for a month or a couple years or a couple decades or a couple centuries. He's bringing eternal prosperity that will matter for a billion trillion years throughout all of history. He came to make you a brand new creation and, and so that you now not have just emptiness in your life trying to get as much stuff as you can. No, he has brought purpose and meaning into your life. So check this out. That means in this life, if you're with Jesus, because he has a, a, a personally a personally defined purpose for your life and a designed purpose for your life. That means he takes all of your adversities and he's actually working all of those adversities in your life and he's working them together for your ultimate prosperity for eternity. It's unbelievable the level that he's doing for you. This is just the beginning of the story. I mean, this is what you have without Jesus. With Jesus, even the things in your life are turned around for good. So let's consider this for a second. Let, let's, what would this look like if, what would this passage sound like if the fullness of the gospel had, had been revealed to Solomon or on the other end of him grasping what Jesus came to accomplish? But what might that sound like? Maybe something like this. 
If we were to reread Ecclesiastes 7, what, what might that sound like? Consider the works of the Lord. Consider that he's the only one who's seen the universe in all its glory. He's the only one that has the power, the wisdom, the love to straighten this broken creation back out again. Consider that even when it all seems bent and crooked, your Savior promised to make all things new. And then consider that when he goes to work, no one can stop him. Aren't you glad that when he is about his work of straightening it all out, none of the crooked powers in heaven or on earth can stop him? So rejoice, Christian. Rejoice always. Rejoice in the days of prosperity. And just as much rejoice also in the days of adversity. Rejoice in the depths of the valley when the world cannot comprehend why you are rejoicing. And while it's true, you do not know what's coming next. You know the end of the story. You know who is victorious. You know who saves the day. You know who wipes every tear from every eye. You know to whom all will bow and whom all will confess is Lord. You know, you know he works all things together for your good. <laughs> Consider the works of the Lord. Don't stop considering expectantly of all that he's up to. See, all Solomon can offer without the gospel is consider there's nothing you can do about it, good times and bad. But with the gospel, we can consider how we can join in the great work that he's doing. I know that he's been up to something, right, in this last year. I, I don't want to miss that. What might he be up to in this season? I mean, what a tragedy if we walk out of this season missing what he did. So can we consider? I don't want to miss that. He's been up to something. He always is. So can we just consider, like, what's he been doing? I, I just want to give you four things quickly that I think he's been up to. And if you're taking notes, if you're there on your couch with your notebook or you're, you're there at your desk, I, I want you to write a couple of these things down. I, I want to just give you um, four things because we've learned some things through this season. I don't want us to forget it, church. Here's the first thing. We've learned something about innovation. God is the most innovative being in the universe and sometimes he uses adversity to help us catch up to him. Here's what we've learned in this season, in the season that we have had to innovate. And what we know is in a season like adversity, we know that God often, because he's the most innovative being, what do I mean that he's the most innovative being? Well, he invented the universe, he is constantly creating, and he made us in his image and he told us to work in his image, and to keep innovating in his image. And so we know that he's the most innovative being. He, he knows every, he's not stuck in something archaic. He actually knows what's coming, the most cutting-edge technology, the most cutting-edge trend. He's actually already been there and back. He's actually inspired the ones and created the ones who are innovating it. In fact, he in innovated and invented the concept of innovating. You cannot be more innovative than God. God is the most innovative being. In fact, um, consider what it says in Scripture. Nine times in the Bible, 
God says to us as a command all throughout Old and New Testament, nine times he says, sing to the Lord a new song. Do you know how many times he says, sing to the Lord an old song? Zero times. Is it bad to sing old songs? No, but he's emphasizing, sing to the Lord a new song. He says in the end, at the end of everything, he says, I make all things new. He's still making things new. And so what we know historically is that there have been these moments of adversity when God's like, guys, come on, let's go, catch up to me. I'm innovating, I'm doing a work. Let's, let's get on with it. For example, the very first generation of Christians, they were in Jerusalem and they knew the gospel. Jesus had, had died on the cross. He had paid for sins. He had risen again from the dead, ascended back to heaven. And there's this growing, thriving church. It's thousands of people in this one church in Jerusalem. And then persecution broke out. Adversity. And they all scattered out of Jerusalem. And what they did is they took advantage of a technology that was new to the Roman Empire, the Roman roads that stretched across the known world. And that first generation, harnessing that technology, took the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Consider the Reformation, 500 years ago. One of the most divided moments in, in history and especially in the church. And in that moment, brand new technology came out called the printing press. Now you could print information very quickly and disperse it and spread it around. And the first thing that was printed was the Bible. And that spread all over Europe and throughout the world. And now they're, they're spreading the message of the gospel. God sometimes allows adversity because he's like, come on, let's go. Christians of all people, you, you know you're made in my image. You know that I'm a creator. You know that I create sunrises and sunsets every single day. You know I'm always making new things. You know I'm always innovating. So come on, be, be in my image and keep innovating with me. Come on, catch up with me. And so what have we learned in this season? Man, we've learned how to innovate. In our era, the thing that has happened all across the world is all of the globe took a huge shove forward in the digital space. I was on a Zoom call um, with some leaders um, uh, from around the world, and I heard a, a bishop from Kenya talk about some of his pastors in the most rural parts, rural villages of Kenya are getting on the internet for the first time because they're trying to figure out how to innovate and get the gospel out to the people in their region. Like the, sea, the digital seas of our globe rose for everyone and we've had to innovate. And so we've done things like uh, created an, uh, a more robust online experience like you're experiencing right now. We have... Um, created online groups. We've had groups that have jumped on Zoom. In fact, because of that innovation, so many small groups saw the benefit of that and they had friends and family members from other countries a part of their small group on Zoom. We had our next gen ministries, kids and students and young adults have a digital expression now, which is so important for digital generation. That's coming up. We've had a, a podcast to get more digital information out there. We, we have had to innovate and think through how, to, how can we follow in God's footsteps so we can get the saving message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And what we've learned is we can't ever stop innovating. So be ready for more and more innovation as a church that we would have the heart of, of, of our father and continue innovating. See, so often what we want is like, man, I just can't wait till things get back to the way they were. But be ready, church. Your God is an innovator. And he's wanting us to be in step with what he's doing. 
Now you might be tempted to say, look, ah, oh, man, I don't know. I don't, I hate change. I've changed in various parts of my life. I don't like it, especially at my church. It's the one thing that's supposed to be, you know, predictable, okay? But listen to this. What's interesting is just a few verses before the one we just read in Ecclesiastes 7, 13, and 14. Can I just read to you verse 10? I mean, this is three verses earlier. Listen to what he says, Ecclesiastes 7, 10. Say not... Why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. So a lot of times the, the debate is, man, you know, in the church there's tradition and there's innovation. Some churches are traditional, some churches are innovative, and, and there's nothing wrong with honoring um, our the, the traditions that we stand on, on, on the shoulders of those traditions. There's nothing wrong with that, and we should honor that. But make no mistake, the tradition of the church is to be innovative. That's what he's called us to do. We've been pushed to become more digital. We've had things like it. Now we've got an, an app that's kind of the, the central way we communicate as a church. And we're going to keep following in his footsteps. I, I want to take a little bit longer. I'm going to take the longest on this first one. I want to take a little longer because we've learned the capacity of, of, of a reach digital. But here's the other thing. We've also learned the limitations of digital. Because I don't know about you, but one of the reasons I am so looking forward to being back in person next, next week is because, man, I have missed that. And I think so often we just take for granted that we get to come together in person and meet things that there have been eras in church history when that was not something they could do. There's places around the country where they can't, around the world where they can't do that safely without persecution. So as we realize the limitations of digital, we've seen that. We've, I don't know about you, but there's moments I felt spiritually just starved by not having a chance to be together in person, let's learn that lesson. Let's never again take it for granted. So as you're walking out of the season, what are you going to learn? Decide now what your new rhythm is going to be with your church because you need it. We all need it. And what I, my fear is as a pastor that there are those that got out of the rhythm and they are going to, of being a part of a church and being at a church and their family got out of the rhythm. And you are wired to be in community with people. So what's going to be your rhythm? For those of you who can't come in person, what's going to be your digital rhythm with your church? Plan that intentionally. Don't miss what we've learned in this season. Speaking of family, that takes us to number two. We've learned something about family. Parents, children are our greatest treasures in this lifetime. I want to speak just to the parents for this point number two. Many of us have, um, well, if you're a parent, all of us have had a lot more time at home with our kids. And some of you are like, yeah, I'm ready to send those little treasures back to school here in a couple weeks. Uh, they are treasures, but uh, we've had a lot of time together. And so, um, yes, that's a challenge. But I think probably for most of us in the midst of the crazy disruption that's been on our family lives, I think there's been some powerful moments as we've been forced to slow down and be together. Don't miss that season. You'll never get a season, most likely back like this one, that you're leaving. What are you going to take with you? Don't just go back to where, to where, to where it was. What's going to be fundamentally shifted 
Because those children in your home, if you have kids in your home, they're the greatest treasures. And in this season, you are the most important people in their life. Don't go back. Don't forget what's most important. And something that I've been very aware of, this season was a reminder when you couldn't come and drop your kids off at kids' ministry, it was a reminder that we as parents are the primary disciple makers in our kids' lives. Raising these children to be mathetes, that's the Greek word for a follower of Christ, raising these kids to have their foundation anchored to who their creator has made them to be and anchored to their savior, that primarily is on us parents. As a church, we're here to partner with you. We get your kids in kids ministry or student ministry for one hour a week. You're with them the rest of the week. It's primarily, biblically, on our shoulders as parents. What are you going to walk out of in this season? I, I can tell you, for, for me, um, each weekend we would, you know, we, we would have a church time together, Rebecca and me and our, our three kids and we loved taking advantage of the kids' ministry uh, material that um, our church provided, but we would also try and have like our, our little uh, church time together, and I'd pre- play, prepare a little lesson, and we'd sit down, you know, the, the five of us, and I would teach them something, and, and um, I'm like, you know, this is sweet time. I mean, this is, I mean, I prepare lessons, you know, all the time. That's pretty much most of what I do, and so um, let me use that with my kids, and and so we sat down, and, and I, for a season we were going through the fruit of the Spirit, and, and we get to patience, and um, we sit down, and I'm like, guys, so this is what patience is. And I say, guys, when is a situation that uh, requires patience in your life? And uh, my five-year-old son, he speaks up, and he says, like when you're so bored and you're waiting for family church to end. <laughs> I gotta be honest, our family church for the last seven months has been a disaster, okay? That's, that was pretty much how it was for most of the last seven months. And so here's what I know. We are the ones that are primarily responsible to raise up our kids, and that's one of the hardest tasks in our lives. But parents, don't walk out of this season missing what you've learned about the importance of pouring into your kids. Here's number three. We've learned something about innovation. We've learned something about family. Here's the other thing. Um, We've learned something about unity in this season. Here's what we've learned. Nothing short of the miraculous power of the gospel will unify the brokenness in our land. Over the last seven months, we've experienced a city, a society, a nation that may be more broken, more divided, more angry, more combative, more fearful, more anxious than it ever has been in recent memory. And there is only one thing that can bring unity back to a people. It is the power of the gospel. And so Christian, have you lost hope? How can you lose hope that Jesus Christ will bring unity? Because you have a a living hope in Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that will bring back hope. First question, have you lost hope? Here's the second question. Where is your hope? Because if you're putting your hope in something other than the gospel to reunify our land, you're putting your hope in the wrong thing. Put your hope 
in the gospel. Let me give you one piece of good news in a season where there seems to be a lot of bad news. Coming up in about a month's time in November, the churches across South Florida, we're talking across five counties in South Florida, it may be as many as 100 churches, over 12 denominations, we are together, the Church of South Florida, teaching one common teaching series in the month of November called Undivided. Because in a season where this world is so broken and hopeless, we're against that bleak backdrop, we're going to show them the miraculous power of Jesus Christ to unify us together. And so there's a piece of good news. The church is not going to stop being unified together, being unified in the gospel to share the gospel in our unified mission to demonstrate the love of God to our land. There is unity to be had, but it can only be had the miracle of the gospel. And here's the last thing we remember from the season. As we consider the works of the Lord, here's what we can know. We've learned something about Jesus' church. Jesus is going to build his church and nothing not quarantine, not pandemic, nothing, not even the gates of hell is going to stop him from doing what he promised. As we've emerged out of this season, here's what we know. Jesus is going to build his church. And so here's what we can know. As we're coming out of the season, we're beginning to publicly regather. We're, we're coming in, in church. We have a hurting city. Now is the time to rise up and send shock waves through our city. Now is the time to rise up and send tremors, seismic, trem seismic tremors through our city as we rise up and take the gospel into our city in such a broken time. As we're re-emerging out of this lockdown, out of this quarantine and regathering, now is the time to realize with even greater ferocity our calling to see South Florida transformed in the power of, in the, power of the gospel in our generation. And so here's what I want to challenge you. Now is the time. Some of you have had seven months off from being on a serving team, serving alongside the effort of seeing the gospel go forward through your church. It's time to get back involved. Some of you have just become a part of City Rev Church in these last seven months. You've never even been here in person. And if that's you, get on a team and help us get the message of the gospel out into our land. So jump on a serving team. Some of you have have not jumped on a, in a small group. Link arms with your brothers and sisters. Link arms with, with them relationally as we're growing together to become city changers out in this region. Get involved financially. Can I just give you another piece of good news? Do you realize in this budget year, our giving in a time when things would otherwise seem to be shaky, do you realize that because of our generosity together to the work that God's doing, because of your giving, we are actually exceeding our projected income that we thought we would be bringing in in this season. That's the generosity of a church of God in faith in a season like this. And because of that generosity, we've actually then given out of these walls into our community even more than we planned. So church, now is the time. Dig in. Let's give generously to the work that God is doing. And here's, here's something else to consider. Now is the time to invite someone to church. You have a great excuse next week if you're coming in person to bring someone with you. You say, ah, I don't know, how do I do that? 
As you're talking about how crazy the, this pandemic season's been, all it takes is, well, I'll tell you what's been a lifeline for me. That's my church. And hey, by the way, we're opening up this week. Um, come with me on Thursday night or come with me on, on a Sunday morning. We, uh, come with me. Or maybe you're one of those people that's like, look, I'm not, I can't come yet. I, I, there's, some, there's some health reasons or I'm just not ready to come back. Well, then maybe if you feel comfortable, you can say, hey, you know what a lifeline's been for me in this season is my church. You want to come over to my house and we're going to watch it as a family. Uh, come, come over and watch it with us. Or maybe say, look, I can't even do that. Then you know what? Maybe on social media, you share the message that your church is, is, is uh, communicating, that we're communicating together. Share it out. Let's see this city transformed by the power of the gospel. I want to give you this last verse as we're closing. It's out of Acts chapter 4. And in this season, it was that time of adversity, time of persecution. And they huddled together in a room and they prayed that God would just give them boldness. That God would just give them boldness to keep going forward in a time of adversity. And this is what happens. Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Church, in a season, it may be quiet seismically in this season, but now is a time for the church to rise up and in the power of the Holy Spirit, shake up our city. And may we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we shake up our neighborhoods, shake up our, our families' groups, shake up our friend groups, shake up our workplaces. Maybe in a season when the, the quietness of hopelessness and brokenness, may we shake it up with the power of the gospel, which is the only force that has the power to transform and to, and to, and to save in this life and to save for eternity. May we shake it up. But for some of you, here's the question you're asking. You're saying, look, I'm, I'm still stuck back. And when you're talking about Ecclesiastes and, and feeling so empty, I want to know that I have a purpose. I want to know that God works all things together for good. I said I'd give you an opportunity to find purpose. Well, it starts by surrendering to your king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Surrender to Jesus. How much does he love you? He was so generous towards you. He, he gave all of himself in death on the cross that you might be saved. Are you ready to turn your life over to Jesus and let him start shaping your life and making what's crooked straightening it all out. Surrender to Jesus. Follow him. Surrender your, your dreams and hopes. It's not about him making your dreams happen. It's about you even surrendering your dreams and learning what he's dreaming over you. Surrender that. He's offering you forgiveness from your shame and your guilt and your sin. He's offering that to you. Put your faith in Jesus today. Just bow your head for a second in, that, in this moment. You might be ready to take this step some of you have walls up in your life. Like, look, I had a bad experience with religion or a bad experience with church or I just have this thing I'm holding on to. Solomon's told you where it's leading. It's leading to emptiness. Just take this moment and surrender. Let those walls down. Experience the overflow of generosity of what he's done to save you for eternity. He's offering that to you for free. And surrender to him. If that's you, I want to lead you in this prayer. Just right there. Just pray this. Repeat these words after me. Jesus, I surrender to you. You are my king. 
You are my savior. You saved me. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, what I want you to do is I want you to go to cityrev.org faith. You can just click it right there. It's in the chat or in the comments. Why I want you to do that is because we want to send you a Bible. So when you click there, it's just going to ask a couple questions so we can get a Bible to you and, and walk with you as you're beginning this journey. Would you just take a second and do that? So we want to celebrate with you. This is huge, what you've just done in your life. Massive step. We want to, we want to walk in alongside of you in this season. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.